This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Do you care about the salvation of your friends, of your neighbors, of your co-workers, and yes, even of your family? So much that literally and truly you said, you know what, I would be willing to lay down my hope of salvation if my family, if my friends could come to a knowledge of the Savior. See, Paul had it so deep that he loved his enemies that great. Do we have a love even for our families and friends so deep that it could be expressed that way? Join us today as Pastor David teaches about the great love God has for Israel. You can learn a lot about Israel's example, what to do and what not to do. God was always faithful to the children of Israel the same way He is faithful to you. Pastor David will be challenging you to imitate Christ as a child and have the same kind of sacrificial love that He has for you. If you've been feeling unfruitful and barren, take a look at the way you treat others. Are you loving the way God loves? Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verse 1, for part one of our message entitled, He is God and I am not. So we look at verse 1. He says, I tell you the truth in Christ, and I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. Paul comes up and says, look guys, I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. As if Paul would lie when he's writing, but he's just trying to drive this in for, for, for again, the, the, uh, for the strength and emphasis of what he's trying to say. I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. The Holy Spirit is my witness. He says, I have a great sorrow and a continual grief in my heart for my countrymen, for my brothers, the Jews. You got to think for a moment. Wait a minute. Those are the very ones who persecute Paul, who come against him. Those are the very ones that are attempting to stone him, to imprison him, literally to kill him. And yet Paul says, I want to tell you the truth, guys, and the Holy Spirit is my witness. I have a great burden for the Jews, my very enemies. And Paul has so great a burden for the Jews, he says, If it were possible, my concern for them is so deep that I would be willing to be accursed. I would be willing to lose my salvation if they would gain it. That's a deep love. And that's a love for his enemies. That's for the love. That's a love for the ones who are trying to kill him, to destroy him. So the question I have to ask myself, and I'm asking you this morning, how great is your love for your enemies? Do you have so great a love for those who come against you that you'd be willing to give your life down or perhaps even give your salvation for them to know Christ? That's pretty powerful. And that's a work that only the Holy Spirit could do. But my question to you even goes a little bit deeper. Do you care about the salvation of your friends, of your neighbors, of your co-workers, and yes, even of your family? 
so much that literally and truly you said, you know what, I would be willing to lay down my hope of salvation if my family, if my friends could come to a knowledge of the Savior. See, Paul had it so deep that he loved his enemies that great. Do we have a love even for our families and friends so deep that it could be expressed that way? I know that in my own heart, I've got to really question how much of a love I've got for those that I say that I love. How deep is that love? Paul goes on, he speaks about those who are of Israel. And he says, man, they, they have all of these blessings. Their blessings are multitude. And he begins to list them there in verse 4. As he says, it's to the Israelites that pertain the adoption and even the glory. The covenants and the giving of the law are theirs. And the service of God and all of the promises. And of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. All of these blessings that come. And I need you to look at these. And understand what he's speaking about. The adoption. What is he speaking about on the adoption? I believe that what he's speaking about is it's Israel that God chose for himself. Not only did he call Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees and says, Come, I'm going to show you a land that you've never seen. But he took Israel as a nation. And the word declares to us that he spoke to Israel and says, I have chosen you to magnify you among all of the nations. Though you're little, you are without power, you are meaningless, but I'm going to exalt you in order that my name might be exalted. He didn't tell them, I'm picking you for any other reason other than the fact that you are small, you are insignificant, and that my name would show through you. God adopted Israel as his chosen nation. No other nation has that been seen. No other nation have we seen. Now, we as the United States, we've experienced a great amount of blessings, but it is not the same as what God has done with Israel. He goes on to speak of the glory that they knew. Do you understand the glory that he speaks about? This is there in the tabernacle during the wilderness experience, and there in the temple as they came and became a nation there in the land of Canaan. And the glory of the Lord was there in the temple, that Shekinah glory that there, as, as part of Israel, you could experience that. Even in the wanderings of the desert, having that cloud during the day and that pillar of fire by night, the very glory and the majesty of God that was Israel's. The Amorites didn't have that. The Hittites didn't have that. The Edomites, they didn't have that. None of the Canaanites had that. Israel had that. They were the ones who experienced the power and the glory of Almighty God. That was theirs. No one else's. He goes on to speak about the covenants, and that's that promise of God that says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. He spoke to Abraham, and he says, Your descendants shall outnumber the stars of the sky or the sands of the sea. I'm going to make this promise with you, and I will not break it. And for all of your descendants, that promise is going to extend. It was Israel that had that. No one else had it. He speaks of the law. Oh, the Ten Commandments that Israel had that God gave them specifically. Now, there were other rules and, and laws that other nations had during that time, but none of them can be compared to the Ten Commandments of God, nor this, uh, the rest of the law that God spoke to Moses that he gave to the children of Israel during that wilderness experience. Israel was the only one. The Amorites didn't have it. The Hittites didn't have it. 
The parasites didn't have it. The termites didn't have it. It was only the Israelites. God gave it to them. They were a choice and chosen and blessed people. He goes on to speak about the service to God. And real quickly, that service to God, the ability for them to be able to go into the tabernacle and serve Almighty God with the power of His presence there in the Holy of Holies, there as they gave the sacrifices and the smoke of the sacrifices arising up like a sweet aroma to the Lord. And again, seeing the majesty and the might and the glory of God as they served there in the tabernacle and the temple. No one else had that in all the other kind of temple worships that were going on with all of these other pagan countries. Their God was not with them the way the one true God was with Israel as they served him daily in the different administrations and the different services within the tabernacle or the temple. And the promises, on and on the promises go. All of the prophets, all the declarations that were given to Israel. The fathers, we could think of Father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the twelve sons of Jacob, the fathers of each one of the tribes of Israel. All of these, Paul says, they were given to Israel, not to any other nation. God did a powerful and exceedingly wonderful work in the nation of Israel. And I want you to understand that. You need to grasp that God did that mighty work in Israel, and he's not finished with Israel yet. He still has a great and mighty work to do there. And then finally he says, and then through all of this also, he says, according to the flesh, Christ came. Theirs was the Messiah. Jesus wasn't born in South Philly, folks. Jesus was not born in L.A. County. Jesus was born in Israel. To a Jewish maid, he was born out of Israel according to the flesh. No other nation does our Messiah come from. He comes from Israel. And we need to understand the blessing that's there. And understand that Paul says, man, all of this is theirs, and yet they're missing it. They're missing it. Now, before we continue on, you need to know all of this, all of these blessings were from Israel. No other place. No other area. It was Israel. God's chosen people. God's not finished with them yet. Before we go further, I want you to take a look at this idea of, again, these blessings that are there, but now with kind of a New Testament viewpoint. And I owe this really to Warren Wiersbe, a Bible teacher and Bible commentator, as he looked at these blessings of Israel, and now he looks at them through a New Testament viewpoint. And very quickly... You speak about the adoption. Oh, yes, we're adopted according to Romans 8. We've received the adoptions as sons and as daughters to be able to cry out, Abba, Father. What about the glory? Oh, yes, we can know that glory, too. Though they had it in the tabernacle in the temple, we can experience at any point, at any time, the very glory and the majesty of God. Some of you know exactly what I'm speaking about because in your spiritual life, in your relationship with Christ, you've experienced such a fullness of the work of God in your life. You know the power of that glory working and moving in your life. What about the covenants, those promises that he declares, I will never break? Well, Luke 22, there in the upper room, 
Jesus speaking to the disciples as he's breaking the bread and as he gives them a cup, he speaks to them and says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. He gives to us as believers this side of the cross, that new covenant, that new work that he's doing in us. And what about the law? Well, Hebrews tells us that it's no longer the old law written on stone, but now he has taken the law and he's written it in our own hearts. That it's not the law of stone, but it's the work of God within our hearts that's moving and causing us to live our lives. And it says that their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. What about service? Absolutely. We have service to the king, not in tabernacle, not in temple, but every day of our lives. Peter tells us that, men, if you speak, speak as though you have the oracles of God. If you minister, let him do it with the ability that God supplies all that we do to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. The word declares to us that all that you find to do, both in word and in deed, do it all to the glory of God. You and I don't need to go to the temple or to the tabernacle. You know what? You don't even need to come to the church to serve God. Do we need Sunday school teachers? Sure. But you know what? All that you do. You need to understand that the work that you do, your 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, is a work of sacredness unto God. There's no such thing in a believer's life as secular versus sacred. All that you do as a believer is to be sacred unto Him. Because you are serving Him with your hands, with your job. Whether you drive a truck, whether you work in an office, whether you take care of children at home, whether you're retired and helping and assisting in other areas, all that we do, we do as in service to our King, to give Him glory and honor. What about the promises? You and I, Peter tells us that we have exceedingly great and precious promises within our lives because of Christ, in order that we might be partakers of that divine nature of God. We receive that within our lives. And what about the fathers? For us, we understand that, yes, Abraham, too, now is our father, our father of faith. Maybe not by bloodline, but when we come by faith to have the same faith of Abraham, Abraham then becomes our father, too. And that's not to mention the whole cloud of witnesses that is before us, that Hebrews speaks to us, that whereby we're encompassed about by so great a cloud of witness, let us run with patience the race that's set before us, laying aside every encumbrance, every weight of sin that so easily trips us up. Yes, we have the fathers of the faith, too. And what about Messiah? Man, that is the promise that we have and that we know. Colossians tells us that to them, speaking of the Gentiles, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of glory, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And that is Christ in you, the very hope of glory. All of these things, blessed by God, all of these declarations that are now ours, all of these blessings are now given to you and I as the church. Every bit of it, all that was there. Does that mean that now Israel is pushed aside and we as the church now have it? No. Israel still has that blessing. Israel still has that inheritance. Israel still has the move of God working in our lives. God is not done with them yet. Now we come along and we move alongside, and we also receive the tremendous amount of these blessings. Now, real quickly, again, I need to cover one quick area, and I'm going to do as quick as I can. 
there is one passage here there in verse 5 that you need to be careful not to make a proof text for the divinity of Christ. I believe in the divinity of Christ. I believe that Jesus was 100% God at the same time he was 100% human. But unfortunately, in chapter 9, verse 5, the translations, and depending upon your translation, will speak about how clearly this may seem to you. In the NIV, it speaks about of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. And you could read that in the NIV and say, whoa, right there. That's a, the, There it is, right there. You see, you have a problem whether Jesus is God or not? Right there it is. And in different versions, it speaks of it in different ways. We could look at just the plain King James or the New American Standard Version. In the King James, it says, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever, or the New American Standard, Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Each one of them a little bit different of a nuance. The problem is, is in the Greek, it is not clear for us to be able to say what exactly Paul is saying. Paul could have just been putting a doxology on the end of the fact that according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. And then he could be simply saying, blessed be the eternal God. Or he could be saying, who is the eternal God. The unfortunate thing is in the Greek, it's not clear enough to use as a proof text. Paul speaks about, again, the divinity of Christ, and throughout the New Testament, there's plenty of areas that speak of the divinity as well as the humanity of Christ. But don't use this particular verse as a proof text for yourself, because someone may try to blow you out of the water on it. The understanding is, yes, he is divine, and yes, he is human. 100%, 100%, yet fold together. Not my math, but it's God's math. So we see all of these there, and so let's now continue on to the verse in order that we can get through this morning. In verse 6, Paul continues on. He says, But it's not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Now he's starting to speak about these blessings that are of Israel's, and God had done all this for Israel. He says, But you need to understand, it's not that the word is ineffective, because not all who are Israel, really are Israel. You say, no, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. You say that they're Israel, but they're not really Israel. Well, what are you trying to speak of here, and what are you declaring? Well, now in verse 7 he says, nor are they all children because they're the seed of Abraham. Okay, so now it's, they're the descendants of Abraham, but they're not the descendants of Abraham. Paul, are, are you getting confused? Has the stoning been a little tough on you of late? What, what are you trying to say? Please stick with us on this because here is where we're starting to get into some deep water. But yet you need to understand. He said, he refers back to the promise of the Old Testament where, again, it declared that in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At that, at this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So what he's speaking is, is that not everyone who is born of the seed line of the descendants of Abraham are really and truly what he is calling the children of Abraham. Or to put it in another way as he does, not everyone who is created by God is a child of God. 
And many times I hear people talking, well, aren't we all children of God? Well, beloved, no, we're not. We're all creations of God. But the only way that we become children of God is through the work of adoption. And that adoption comes through faith. And that's what Paul is trying to drive home here. And he speaks there in verses 6 through 9, this whole idea of Isaac and Ishmael, and where our And Isaac was the son of promise, and Ishmael was a work of the flesh. And he says, I'm not going to bless the work of the flesh. I'm going to bless only the work of faith, the work of the promise. Now, that one is kind of easier for us to understand and see. Abraham got a little ahead of the Lord. The Lord made a promise. I will bless your seed in all nations. And since Sarah couldn't have a child, they figured out in their flesh, in their own brain, in their own time, to move ahead of God. I'll take Hagar, your handmaid. I'll have a child with her. And God will bless through Ishmael. And God says, no, I'm not going to bless through Ishmael. I told you I'm going to give you a child through Sarah. And the blessings and the promises are going to go through Isaac. That one we can understand why God would choose Isaac over Ishmael. But the problem is it gets a little bit deeper. Paul doesn't let us just stay there. In verse 10, he goes on, And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, and then he puts this big parenthesis in here, For the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Well, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. And as it's written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now we're starting to get into some deep water. You see, two children born of the same mom and dad, Isaac, the one who is the bearer of the promises of Abraham, and Rebekah having a child. It's not two separate times of childbirth. Man, it is so impacted and so demanding of our thought processes. These are twins that are going to be born at the same time. And the word came to uh, uh, Rebekah as she was carrying these. She's feeling like there's this big battle going on inside. And sure enough, the word came and says, there is a battle. It's two nations that are fighting within you. And it turns out that the older is going to serve the younger, which is totally different than what Judaism and most of that culture would have. The older would be the preeminent one and the younger would serve. But no, God came and says, no, the older is going to serve the younger. Why would that be? Well, Paul puts in that little parenthesis, not yet even being born, nor having done any good or evil that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. Beloved, this is not the deal that God, standing above, looks down and looks at the life of Esau and looks at the life of Jacob and says, oh, yeah, okay, well, I'm going to choose Jacob because I see how they're going to turn out. The fact is, is Esau was a rascal and he was very much a man after the flesh. We know that. But we also know that Jacob was a rascal. He was a trickster. He was a deceiver. There was nothing good of either one. Neither one of them were a prize. Neither one of them were somebody who says, man, I hope my daughter marries that one. Both of them had problems. And for some reason, God chose Jacob in order that it wouldn't be of works. He did it even before they were born. I can understand Isaac and Ishmael. Now we're talking about a little bit more difficulty. We're talking about Esau 
and Jacob, both born in essence at the same time, but God chose one over the other. But beloved, remember, he is God, and you are not. And he is doing a work and determining a plan and a purpose for his own desires. And we see this work. He says, he did it for the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. He says, the older shall serve the younger. Then we move on into verses 14 and 16. If that wasn't enough, he continues on a little bit deeper into this thing. And he begins in verse 15 or 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. He asked the question that many of us would say. And this whole idea, what shall we say then? Paul brings multitude of times throughout the book of Romans. It's kind of like he casts this thing out that is going to give us a real hard time understanding. He says, okay, how are you going to deal with this? Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Romans next time. It's been said that if a believer were to drop their Bible on the ground, it should fall open to the book of Romans. Why, you might ask? Because this book is packed full of doctrine that we truly need to grasp as believers in Jesus. Or maybe you're listening today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet. We encourage you to continue tuning in Monday through Friday as Pastor David shares insights from this book. Pastor David will be teaching through this book with hopes that all those tuning in each day here on The Open Word would either be saved or be encouraged in their salvation. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. And to become our Facebook friend or to follow the Open Word Twitter feed or to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word.